0: If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, 5 through 11. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. So that, contrawise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Whereof I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, For your sakes forgave I in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's just look to the Lord in Word. prayer. Gracious God, as we come before you, we thank you again for Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the living word that we have. We thank you that he died on the cross for our sins, that through his death, birth, and resurrection, we can have the absolute forgiveness of all of our sins. We thank you for the written word. We know both are faithful, both are true. Help us, God, as we open your word to understand the truth as you've intended, and we give you the glory and the praise and the honor. For we pray these things in Christ Jesus' name, amen. So we, for the last few weeks, have been studying Forgiven, and the... Reason and you understand why the word give is in a bigger font than the word for or the letter N. It's because forgiveness is giving. And we have given you the definition of the word, the occurrence of the word, and remember the word comes from the word for grace. The verb of this word comes from the noun for the word grace. And then we talked about the twofold aspect. Of forgiveness. First of all, God's divine, and and we, and I told you we did it in in inverted order. In some regards, if you look at Ephesians chapter four, because you have we're to forgive even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. But we begin with God's divine forgiveness. Amen. It's once for all. It's instantaneous. How God has forgiven us all of our sin, and then we started talking about human forgiveness. That that's toward each other. One is what God has done for all of us, the other is our responsibility. We see that in verses of scripture like Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32. You don't have to turn there, but I'd just like to read it. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, present tense. That's not a past tense verb, folks. That's present tense, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's a past tense verb. Completed action, point in time. That's God's forgiveness, once for all. Praise God for that. Because we weren't there at the cross, physically born, but yet Christ died, not just for part of our sins, he died for all of our sins, And we praise God for that. In Colossians chapter three, verse twelve says, "Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, the holy of God, and beloved." And what we said was, those are three descriptions of all of us. We are the elect of God. We are the holy of God and we are the beloved of God. And because we are the holy of God, because we are the elect of God, because we are the beloved of God, we're to put on six things. And the word put on, again, I remind you, it means to be clothed with. And one of those six things you find in verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Present tense again. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, God forg- has forgiven us, Christ has forgiven us, forgave, complete action point in time, so also do you. And above all the above those six things, literally upon those six things, you're to put on charity, which is a bond of love, is the bond of perfectness. Now, when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, you think, well, this seems like an obscure verse of scripture dealing with forgiveness. But it really, if you start thinking upon what, again, who wrote 2 Corinthians? Paul didn't really say anything. Mark didn't say anything. Matthew didn't say anything. John didn't say anything. Moses didn't say anything, right? It's a trick question. God, God, God through humanly speaking, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians. It seems like a very obscure verse of Scripture, yet when you start reading that verse and thinking upon it, What is being said, it is actually very, very powerful. Remember the background of Corinthians. Where had, and this is not in the sermon and I was going to put on as a question, but I will ask. Where had Paul ministered to before he came to the city of Corinth? Especially in that second missionary journey. Do you remember? He had been in Athens, previous to Athens, he had been at Thessalonica, he had been at Berea, he had been at Philippi, and he and he comes to the city of Corinth. And literally, I believe that if we're not going to take the time this morning, but go back and read Acts 18 about verses even one to about verse seven, and cross-reference it with Second, excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter three. I think the picture is literally as God is writing through Paul, First Thessalonians. Timothy comes and shares with him what has been going on with the believers at the city of Thessalonica. We find out from reading Acts chapter 18, verse 11, that he was in this city for 18 months, a year, a year and a half. He, he ministered at the city of Corinth. And again, we're not going to give you the description, but if you want to know what Corinth is like, just take a little bit of some major cities in the United States and mix them together. And that, that's the city of Corinth. It was, it was full of debauchery, there was a lot of things that were going on, and God was saving individuals, and church was established. And then we see here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, verses 13, and also in the 7th chapter, literally, I mean, look at verse 13 of, of 2 Timothy 2.13. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Timothy my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from fence into Macedonia. He leaves some people because he hadn't seen Titus. If you read the 7th chapter, verses 6 to 8, he received direct comfort because he saw Titus, scripture we know in 1 Thessalonians 4, 18. Wherefore, comfort one another. We just sang, I'll fly away, right? What is first, what's 1 Thessalonians four thirteen to 17 all about? The rapture. The dead in Christ, we who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall what? Don't forget that. So shall we, believers, ever be with the Lord. And I've said this many times. What does verse 18 say? Thank you. What brings us comfort? The word of God. Individuals can bring us comfort. Paul leaves an area to check out and to find what's going on with Titus, and that brings him comfort. So we have a little bit of the the background. Now, what we have to deal with and understand, when you read verse number five, we're going to put up on the screen in a moment. Really, there's three individuals, two individuals and a group. That he's talking to. Now, the identity of this individual, when you read Second Corinthians chapter two, verse five, you really don't know who he is. We we don't know what he did. We we don't know why he needs forgiveness. Now, I will be honest with you. There, there's two different ways you could look at this person. There are some who would identify him with the immoral man of First Corinthians chapter five. They would say, "Slam dunk! This is who he's talking about." Or is it a different individual? And in scripturally speaking, humanly, humanly speaking and uh, scripturally speaking, the identity of this person, what he did, why he needs forgiveness, is not known. I personally don't think it's the same guy of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want my honest opinion. I, don't think it's, I think it's someone else. And maybe this person attacked pa- Paul's apostleship. And, and the Corinthians, remember when, when you, re- remember with the, the message of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what does what the message of reconciliation involve? Remember the word re and conciliate. Reconciliation presupposes that there's alienation, right? Friends, family members who have no problems with each other, do you need to be reconciled to anybody? No. Nations that are getting along. You don't need reconciliation. Reconciliation presupposes alienation. And when we talk about the gospel of reconciliation, we who are born sinners and commit acts of sin needed reconcile to God, and God did that through the personal Lord Jesus Christ. When there's individuals who are at enmity with each other, what do they they need reconciliation? And that's what this is talking about, and that would, that's, is what the goal should be. So when we talk about this individual, to be honest and to be scripturally accurate, we don't know who he is. We don't know exactly what he did. It could be the man of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that they dealt with. Or it could be someone else, a totally different individual. And I, like I said, I personally believe that's what it is. So the individuals or groups. When you read Second Corinthians chapter two, verse five down through eleven, you have to understand that there are these two individuals, and then there's a group. The individuals, obviously, one is the Apostle Paul when he is talking about that I forget, I I've already forgiven this person. Because the issue is of reconciliation of restoration and not annihilation or destruction of an individual. Obviously, it's the other person involved in this is this unidentified person. And I'm I'm just being honest. He's he's unidentified. He's not a UFO, okay? He's not an unidentified flying object. Obviously, I don't believe him. I will tell you, though, and Nancy will agree, we we last saturday morning we left i haven't told anyone this we we left rodanthe at 3:30 in the morning right nancy and we're driving and if you know that area we're approaching nags head and as we're approaching Nags Head, this thing appeared. And it's like, that's not a plane. Well, what it ended up being, we were going by Nags Head Hospital, and it was, a, it was a helicopter landing at 4 o'clock in the morning. But I will tell you, for a few minutes, it did seem a little bit odd, especially because at 4 o'clock in the morning, it's still pretty, pretty dark outside. So when I say unidentified man, he's unidentified. Scriptural, we just don't know who he is what he particularly did and why he needed for forgiveness. And then the third group that people don't realize maybe in this, the church at Corinth has a part in this. And that's what he is talking about. So he's talking about when you read this, like in verse 5, I may not overcharge you all. And then when you read verse number uh, 10, to whom you forgive anything, I forgave also. For if I forgave, that's God through Paul writing, but also he is writing to who? He's writing to the church at Corinth. So you have three groups when you, when individuals or groups, when you read verse five down, you have to understand the Apostle Paul, because in fact, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 2:4. For out of much affliction, in anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved. Who's he writing to? That This isn't a personal epistle. If this was 1 Timothy or Second Timothy or Titus or Philemon, he's writing to the church. He's writing to a collective group of individuals who are saved by the grace, of, the grace of God. And this isn't, remember, Galatia is not a city. Galatia was a region. And in Galatia, there were plural churches. This is, this is the church at Corinth, So when he writes these words and talks about, I wrote unto you uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 4, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. He's not talking to one person. He is talking to who? The church. What is the church? The body of Christ. Individuals who are saved by God's grace, who are meeting to understand about God and his love. So p- please understand, you have know, these individuals and group, and the group is the local church at Corinth. And the message that God has, when you go back to Colossians 3, 12 to 14, or if you look at Ephesians four thirty two, God's message is a message of absolute forgiveness. <laughs> and that's what you see here. And here he is not writing to, you know, he, he's writing specifically to the church at Corinth because there was a problem. And the message to the, look at the message. I'm just going to put these all on the screen. Look at, look at the message. And the last one ought to startle us a little bit. But look, look at, I'll go back and read it. And you can read it and you follow along. These are, these are God's words. Look at verse number five again. But if any cause grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted on many. In other words, you've done something, it's over. Let's move on. Think of Galatians 6.1. You who are spiritual, restore that person in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The goal would be reconciliation, restoration, not total and absolute destruction. Sufficient to such a man is his punishment which was inflicted to in many, so that contrawise you ought rather to forgive him, and what? And comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with, much, with overmuch sorrow. So not only is he telling them to forgive him, he is telling them to comfort them, look at, or comfort him, verse number eight. Wherefore, I beseech you, you believers of Corinth, the church there, that you would confirm what? Your love, that you would not only forgive him, not only comfort him, but that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether what? In all things. Your obedience to God's word, right? And they didn't, we're, we're privileged, we have God's 13 epistles through the Apostle Paul, so we could, when we began with Ephesians four thirty-two, pretty clear. Be kind one another, tender heart, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ, hath forgiven you, or Colossians 3, 12, 14. But he wanted proof of your obedience in all these things. And that's what he he is talking about. Paul didn't write the book of Ephesians. He didn't write Galatians or Colossians or 1st or 2nd Corinthians. These, These words are God's words. They're not written by some man over a course or individuals, man or female, and, they, and that's the world's position. That the Bible is just a collection of, you know, people wanted to write things and they just wanted to name this Jesus and they want you to blindly follow him. No, these are, these are God's words. It's the words that proceed out of the mouth of God, Matthew chapter number 4. And he talks about it. Not only to forgive, but to comfort, confirm your love toward him. And really, this is a proof of your obedience. I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient to all things. And just think about our obedience to God. And and we can think of many illustrations. The one that that pops in my mind right now is, and we're not going to go back there, but in Acts chapter 1. You're not going to see the word obedient or obedience or obeying. But what did the Lord Jesus Christ tell his disciples? If you go to Luke 24, 47, 48, 49. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued from power and high, right? Now, if you were one of the apostles, you could either choose to do one or two things, right? That would be what? Here you go. Either obey what he said or disobey what he said. When you go to Acts chapter 1, you will see the ascension of Christ, and you will see that his disciples, following the ascension, they're rebuked by two, two angels, by the way, because they stand gazing in the heavens, and they the reply is this same Jesus which was taken from you is, is coming back. Second coming. A lot different than the rapture, right? When you go out of this church this afternoon, you should look up to the I'll fly away someday, right? Praise God. We get all looking for that blessed hope. Titus 2:13. And if you continue reading, you will find out what did they do? They went back to the city of Jerusalem. What did they what did they honestly do? They obeyed the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did, they, they, he said, "Tarry, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued from power and high. What did they do? They're, they're found in the city of Jerusalem. I understand. Yeah, you can tell me. I understand. I can, I can figure the math out. They only, Christ was on earth for 40 days, and he ascends on the 40th day, in the day of Pentecost, Pente, Pentagon, 550. Was on, they only wait 10 days, but they waited. They, they, they obeyed the words of the Lord Jesus Christ is the point. And... So many illustrations, you get scriptural illustrations. My point here is, verse number 9, for to this end, also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive all. And again, you're going to see that there's a, several times the word forgive is italicized. Again, what does that tell us? That tells us it's not found in the original manuscripts. It's there to help it flow better. But the word forgive here is the same word that you find over in Ephesians 4:32 and Colossians 3:13 that is used of God and man's forgiveness and it speaks about what grace. It comes from the noun, the verb comes from the noun for the word grace. So to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also, for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes. Forgave I it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolute forgiveness. Look at verse 11. Now, if you just stopped at verse 10 and only had the first four up on the screen and, and you know, forgive this, forgive him, comfort, confirm, and this really tells me about your obedience to God's word, you could stop there and say, okay, right? It doesn't stop there, does it? Verse 11, which is ignored in the context of verse four down, is sitting there in the context it is connected to verse number 10 why is that significant because it talks about forgiving people less what lest who satan should get advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices and there is a satanic strategy is there not and and really it actually occurs two times in, in this book first of all we're not ignorant of satan's devices The word ignorant is present tense, active voice. Subject of the sentence is producing the action of the verb, and it's present tense, which means it's ongoing. Right? Okay, thank you. We we are not ignorant, not today, not presently ignorant of his devices. The word ignorant means not to know. Going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you know, that was a good song to sing this morning because this is the second time of 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I would not have you to be ignorant, brother, not to know concerning them which were asleep. Right? God wants us to understand something. That you sorrow, but you sorrow as others who simply have no hope. Because as a Christian, we understand what the hope is. We should understand and we should not be ignorant not to know concerning those individuals have died in the lord and in romans chapter 6 verse 3 it's know ye not and how many times in romans and corinthians know ye? don't you know these things it's the same word and he is saying that we are not ignorant of his devices satan has an absolute strategy first of all he has an attack you're here in second corinthians go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 3 and 4. He has an attack upon the very essence of the gospel, does he not? According to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, he certainly does. Look look here. But if our gospel be hid, our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom, what are the next three words? The God of this world, lowercase g, that that is Satan. Satan. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. What, what is, do you think Satan wants to hear the, the message of God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace to be preached over the radio and in the area? No, and, and there's times that we, there's been issues with us being on the radio, and i and when you look back at what the message was, you think, well, that, that's, Satan doesn't want to, he, he does not want the message of God's forgiveness and of salvation by grace alone through faith to be preached. And here it says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. If you go back to 2 Corinthians 2, 2 he's also, this is, this is according, not to Stuart McClellan, according to God's word, not according to the Apostle Paul. We're not ignorant of his divine. Because Paul's saying, I have forgiven him, you better forgive him. Because if you don't, lest Satan should get an advantage. And that word advantage is translated in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 17, 18, as the word gain. Do you want Satan to have an advantage of a gain of you? Don't do what God wants us to do. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Absolutely, a lack of forgiveness between believers opens the door. Right? A lack of forgiveness opens the door for a satanic attack not on an individual. Who's he writing to here? Who's he he telling them and instructing them, you better love and forgive and confirm and show, demonstrate, I want to see your obedience. It's, it's It's on a church think Satan wants a church that is preaching the message of God's grace to succeed? Of course not. And, and remember, I'm not going to take the time, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right? Go back and read the mystery, the hidden mystery, which God had foreordained unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And who are the prince of the world? Satan and his cohorts do you understand what that verse is saying do you realize that that verse is saying that had satan understood in the eternity past what the dispensation of grace was all about and here we go again i'll fly away where are we going to meet the lord and who's the prince of power of the air and where are we going to meet the lord in the air in satan's backyard in satan's domain but the victory is ours right praise god and then he's going to be cast out, and we're going, to repl- we're going to be seated in heavenly places. Had he known that message of God's grace and the dispensation of grace, you understand he never would have allowed the cro- Lord Jesus Christ to be crucified. That's where this, The prince of the world is not human government. It's Satan and his cohort. So he, he has a strategy. And we've looked and, and analyzed down through the time that we've been here, preaching on Satan and the attacks, the scriptural attacks. And this is what he is talking about. God is a forgiving God. God has forgiven us of all of our sins through Lord Jesus Christ. God's forgiveness is complete and absolutely instantaneous. We as believers of God and of the word of God should demonstrate this in our life. What a virtue this is. We're commanded and exhorted by God to put on, therefore, because we're the holy of God, the elect of God, obedience and forgiveness. Which is an illustration of forgiveness? I had it explained to me this way. This individual said to me, the re, the re, which, is, "Which one is the better explanation of what forgiveness is, because what his explanation was is emotion or knowledge. You see, and maybe this is a little bit unclear, and I should have had more arrows and all. So I apologize, you know, art wasn't my thing anyway. <laughs> emotion over knowledge. That is not an example of forgiveness, because you're being guided by what? Your emotions. So your emotions are saying one thing. You may have the knowledge, but you're not being guided. Or when you have knowledge over emotion, that means your knowledge, God's knowledge. And I, you know, I thought of those things, but I thought, well, I think this is a little bit better myself, personally. I think it's biblical knowledge over emotions. Biblical knowledge is, this, this is what God says. This, this is what God's saying in Ephesians 4.32. Paul didn't write this. The Ephesians didn't write it. Mankind didn't write it. I didn't write it. It's, it's, it's not a new book. It is, it was written by God through Paul to the Ephesian believers while he was in prison. And we read Ephesians 6, and that's why I read that today. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not in flesh and blood. We we know as we as we celebrate this week our 243rd anniversary right well we know there are nations poised that hate us and i I don't have to tell you which ones they are if you want to know i will tell you privately right but as christians we're not we're not involved in a physical fight it's been done through human history and they made major mistakes over that going back to the crusades Our fight is not a physical fight. If you read Ephesians 6, our fight is not a physical fight. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So if someone says, hey, let's get together and we're going to form an army because we're going to attack this nation as Christians because we want to set up the kingdom of God, you're wrong, right? Right? Okay. Our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need to understand lest Satan gains an advantage over us because Satan does not want the message of God's love and of God's grace and the Christian virtue of forgiveness to go forward. He wants to stop it and destroy it. And who are we going to honor, God or the the Lord Jesus Christ God or follow our own emotions rather than biblical knowledge?